Scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. May come as a surprise to you, but I was a wrestler in middle school. Something that my dad did uh, through his entire, I think his entire high school career. I think he actually uh, wrestled at like the 95 weight class when he was a senior in high school. My dad's not a big guy, Um, but... I wrestled uh, for two years. Uh, I wasn't great, uh, but um, I did wear a singlet, so you now have that picture uh, in your mind, that image. Uh, Wrestling's really a very close and personal uh, sport, if you will, fighting, combat even. Um, You uh, are, you, you know, feeling the other person on your body. You are rolling around. It is anything, if not intimate. That's one way of wrestling. The other wrestling is that is that which I do now with my kids. Like when I get home and I get down on the floor and they immediately just jump on top of me. Joshua like is climbing on my back. Usually there's a kid under me and we're wrestling around. They're trying to pull on me and I'm telling them to stop because they're going to hurt my back. That's an excuse so technique that i've learned but also um it's very helpful so uh, they're uh i'm tickling them and they're loving it and they just they don't want to stop because it's very close it's very intimate and there's this exchange of love that takes place very randomly all three kids love being wrestled with and love wrestling with me there's a shift in this focus in in paul's focus here all throughout ephesians he's been saying walk Walk in Christ. Walk in this life of faith. Walk in who God has made you to be. And now, he says, finally, stand. He says, stand four times in this passage. Because he knows that when we wrestle, the first place that we, uh, when we get on the mat, when we get in the ring, we are standing. That is the place of strength for when we are um, fighting in this life. Because Paul is reminding us here that there is a real force, a real entity, a real person who is actively fighting against what God wants in your life. 
along with the standing, he says, in doing so, you are being strong in the Lord. And this qualifying statement of strong in the Lord describes how we are to stand and how we are to be strong against the devil's schemes. We do this in two ways, putting on the armor of God and by praying. And they're inextricably linked together. So who believes in God? In the room, you can raise your hand. You can raise, yeah, you believe in God. Who believes in evil? Anyone believe in evil? What about the devil? Anyone we believe in the devil? Okay, because that can often be one of those jumps and leaps to a real personal force of evil, someone being active against us. Peter says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to see, to uh, eat and destroy. Um, so thank you. Nick has it memorized for me. So <laughs> that's why I keep them around. <laughs> what? To devour. Yes, to devour. Um, and in verse 11, Paul says that these are, he says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, other uh, older translations say the wiles. Uh, the actual word here is methodius, so the methods of the devil. These are incredibly seductive and attractive. They're always results-oriented. They're always measurable, but they're also quite often hidden. Methods, ways, and means are often things that we don't see, and so we become seduced by them just thinking we all we have to do is get to our goal, right? All we have to do is get the thing accomplished that we want. So we don't think so much about how we get there all the time. So much of our our lives in Christ, especially, are immeasurable. It's nice to have something measurable once in a while, to know how something is going. And this is how the devil goes to work, through methods, schemes, wiles, if you will. And so when we enter into that, we begin to manipulate the results that we want. Money in particular becomes idolized into this God mammon, and it's something that we worship, that we have to get at. And it doesn't matter how we get there and how we get to it. Language often becomes propaganda, becomes lies. We use language, something that's inherently very good. We have to be able to speak to one another, but we do so in a way that just subtly manipulates them, a little white lie. Maybe I can push the truth over here a little bit. Maybe raising my voice at my kids is going to get the the results I want much quicker than the patience and the kindness and the love that we're supposed to bring forth in these relationships. Technology begins to depersonalize relationships as well. Technology is something very good. Our phones, we carry them with us all the time. But it's also something that I think depersonalizes our relationships with other people quite uh, regularly and quite easily. Um, My theory on technological depersonalization is that every time we remove ourselves from a face-to-face interaction with the other person, we remove just a little bit of how we interact with them on a humanity, a humanness kind of a level. And so when we are face-to-face with one another, we say things and we think about how we're saying them. We read the other person's body language as much as what they're saying. You know, things that we get distracted by things around us as well, but we are engaged personally with one another. 
when we're on the phone, though, it's a little different. We can't read uh, the person's body language as much. So we might say things to, you know, a Southwest agent or whomever, right? Uh, a little differently than we would if we were face-to-face, even with our closest loved ones. Our our phone calls with our parents are a little bit different than when we are in the room with them. Um, When we get start texting, we don't even have tone of voice there, so we're stepped back even farther. We often import that, and for whatever reason, I, at least, read misread text messages pretty regularly in the tone in which I'm receiving them. When we get on a Facebook forum and when it's just like there is hardly even a a person on the other side, I believe we begin to depersonalize and dehumanize people even more. This is just what we do. These are great things to be able to have, to be able to be in more contact with people. But in doing so, we also depersonalize the other person and our selves as well. These are methods and schemes of the devil, unfortunately. And the reason being rooted in Christ's love is hard is because there is someone who is actively seeking our derailment. Paul says here that the days are are evil, but he said that before, and here he says um, the evil day. And I think we can chalk a lot things up to coincidence a lot, like when things in our lives start to fall apart. Oh, you know, um, my car broke down. Um, someone's health health is failing. Um, I can't find my keys anywhere. And we can say all of this is coincidence. Some days just seem hard, but when we get into these major uh, blows in our lives and everything blows up at the same time, it's probably not purely coincidence that there is a personal evil force out there who is trying to destroy us, who is trying to keep the work of God, his redemption through Jesus Christ at bay in our lives and in the world as well. Paul, you know, the large um, uh, phrase or whatever um, words that we use for this is often called spiritual warfare. Paul in verse 12 says, Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. For Paul, this is a very real thing. Things don't just go wrong, right? Paul is in prison because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and saying that Jews and Gentiles can come together, that someone was raised from the dead. These are outlandish claims that Caesar is not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And for that, he was put in prison because... This devil, Satan, doesn't want these things to be talked about. He doesn't want this work of God to take place here in this world. So if we're going to have any chance against these spiritual forces of evil, then we're going to have to fight them on their level. We're going to have to enter into the cosmic. And Paul says we do this through prayer. Verse 18, we're going to jump down. Paul says, praying at all times. In the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Prayer is the complete opposite of methods and schemes. It's kind of completely immeasurable. Sure, you can check the box that you prayed, but did you pray long enough? Did you pray for the right things? How do you know? You just don't. (laughs) Um, 
It feels incredibly passive and flaccid as well, but it's also one of those things that Paul and the writers uh, of Scripture always say to do. Be praying always. Cultivate a life of prayer. What are you thinking, Woody? Is there a wrong way to pray? I don't know. Is there a wrong way to pray? Yeah. Well, the writer of the Psalms do that all the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> no. No, that's, I think there, I, I, you know, on that, those lines, no, not at all. Say it again. Again, I think the psalmists say, no, this is, it's okay, like, that doesn't, and what we do in bringing our requests to God, our desires for other people's downfall, is to say, God, you handle this. Because if I do it myself, I'm going to go murder the person or, or take them out or whatever it is. But knowing that God is in control and taking our heart to him enters into what he wants to do and accomplish in this place, in our lives, and in the life of the other person. That doesn't always mean he's going to take the other person out he kind of rarely does that yeah but it causes us to enter into the life of god as well and what he wants to do in this place that makes sense yeah yeah again it can be completely flaccid and seemingly incredibly passive of us to just pray like we want to get out there, we want to do something, right? We want some some to take up arms or to gird our loins to go out and do something, right? Because like even saying to someone that you love, "I will pray for you," seems incredibly just cliche in this world, um, but it's not. And Paul says it's not. Um, and so we have to we have to trust that we have to trust that we're entering into the life of God through prayer and i think this is what prayer does it does something so much almost imperceptible that when we pray we begin to put on the armor of god that's what's taking forth so you can see our connect our, our connection to the life of god happens through prayer and the deeper our connection with god the more we are able to withstand the schemes of the devil now paul is in prison and he's staring at these guards watching over him and he's seeing how they're armored and he's thinking to himself how can i be armored like that how am i in christ in the lord protected as he is and so as he's writing this letter he kind of begins to draw this image from this heavily protected roman foot soldier the helmet the belt the breastplate covering having a shield having a sword having its feet covered as well and he draws this image from this, but in the reality, well, a lot of times, a lot of churches, a lot of youth group talks that I've been a part of have been like, put on the armor of God. Like, this is what you do. Get ready to fight. And he's going, no, no, no. Get ready to have the character of God placed on you. Because the emphasis isn't on the parts of the armor. The emphasis is on what those armor, that what that represents and so verses 14 through 17, Paul writes, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, a lot of, like I said, a lot of times we get caught up on the pieces of armor. But what Paul is actually pointing to are things like truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word, the message of the gospel itself. Because when we do this, no longer are we falling prey to the schemes of the devil, but words, and words are not lies, but they expose the truth that holds our life together, keeps our pants on, the belt of righteousness, uh, or the belt of truth, excuse me. Righteousness is a word that describes our relationship to God. That's a breastplate, and it protects our heart protects our very lives, being in relationship with God. Peace is how we relate to one another. Our, salva- our salvation is the security we have in Christ, and the knowledge, right, it's the helmet of salvation, that he has conquered death, been raised from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of God above all rulers and authorities, as Paul writes at the beginning of Ephesians and the word of God isn't is the sword. This a lot of times is a direct reference to scripture, and it is somewhat of that, but more so it's reminding ourselves of the good news of Christ that Paul has been telling the Ephesians about who Christ is, how we participate in his life by being rooted in his love. See, wrestling is intimate, it's close, and it's personal. And when we wrestle with the schemes of the devil, they can tend to rub off on us. Maybe a little white lie here, maybe more biting comment than is necessary. Perhaps we rehearse all those one-liners in our heads so that the next time we run into that guy, we have the perfect response for what he is saying so that we can just dig a little bit more into him or her. Or we begin to forget the security that we have in Christ. We begin to look at our bank accounts. We begin to look at the things that we have. We begin to look at all those experiences and stuff that we have around us, and we place our security in those things. All of those take off our focus of being rooted in Christ and being rooted in his love. Prayer, though, is more intimate, more close, and more personal than wrestling with the devil. Prayer is wrestling with God. In Genesis 32, uh, we have an amazing picture of Jacob, one of the founders, one of the the forefathers, if you will, of uh, Judaism, of Israel. And his name was actually turned into Israel. Jacob uh, means liar and thief, right? Is that right? Am I remembering that right? Suddenly, I doubt myself. Liar, deceiver, deceiver. So Jacob was known as a deceiver. He uh, deceived his brother Esau out of uh, his inheritance. He deceived his uh, father-in-law out of uh, um, some of his possessions as well. And he goes back, and he's about to meet his brother, whom he has deceived again. And he meets this guy. uh, He meets someone else. Someone else comes to him in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord. And he wrestles with him all night long. And he is holding his own. He is in it with this angel. And he won't let him go. And the angel's saying, please let me go. I'm done. I'm done wrestling with you. And so he says, I'm not going to unless you bless me. And finally, the angel touches his hip and loosens it from the socket. And Jacob has to let go. But the angel says, I will bless you. 
and I will change your name from deceiver to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. And Jacob at the end of this says, I have seen God face to face, and my life has been delivered. Prayer is this wrestling with God, is going to him and saying, um, I want to end this person, but what do you want? I want this from my life, but what do you want? I have all these schemes and desires and ways of going about doing things, but what do you want, God? What do you want to accomplish in my life? What do you want to accomplish in the lives of those around me? Think of this. Who do you pray for in your life? What do you pray for? Who do you pray with? Who do you pray for? What do you pray for? Who do you pray with? It's likely friends, close friends, likely family, maybe your kids, spouse, hopefully. We pray together as a church. We most often pray by ourselves because it's an incredibly intimate part of who we are. Has anybody ever just asked you, like somebody that you've just met, been like, hey, can I pray for you? You know, you're like, oh, no, man, that's weird. Like, you don't know me like that. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, dude, like, you got to buy me dinner first. Like, we're not, we're not going to that place right away. Like, it is, yeah, for me, I am just like, yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want you to pray for me, but we're not going to do that right here. Like, that's my, like, uh, in a parking lot. Like, I just met you. Um, strange. Uh, true story. Um <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> but prayer is incredibly intimate, incredibly personable. It g- goes beyond that physical outward appearance. It goes past the facades that we have that we can put up and hide behind in these houses. It is the real us, and it connects us to one another, and it connects us into the life of God as well. Um, if you want to learn how to pray, come to church come to worship. This is one of the ways in which we are formed. And so the way our liturgy takes us through um, coming before God, confessing our sins and hearing his absolution, praying the Psalms that gives us words of our hearts that we didn't even know was there. It's, it's one of those questions like, is there a right way to pray? Is there something I can't bring to God? I think the psalmists tell us no. And that's one of the reasons why we pray the Psalms every week. We pray for one another. We lift up prayers and, and concerns with one another. Ultimately, prayer invites us to the table as well to be able to feast, to have that deep intimacy, that relationship with him and with one another as well. Prayer connects us into the life of God because the reality of all these characteristics of God, these are all covenantal relationship words. This is all how we relate to one another and when we relate and how we relate to God. We reflect all of these things in relationship with one another, with the righteous character of how God has related us to uh, related to us. Why would the devil want to scheme against these things? Because it doesn't merely bind us to our relationship with with each other to other people, but it binds us in our relationship with God and the redemption that he is working out in this place as well. This is what we're trying to do here. <laughs> at the table. We're trying to enter into, we're trying to invite people into the life of God who loves them. Starting a church is like a major onslaught 
against the schemes of the devil. It is entering into a cosmic wrestling match with the forces of evil, and it's one of those ways in which we get so close and enter into the heart of God as well because he longs for people who do not know him to come and to know him. He is the, he is the shepherd that goes after the lost sheep. He is the one who chases us down. He's chased us down to bring us into his life. He wants us to chase down others with him to bring them into his life as well. Whether you know it or not, you volunteered to be in one of the most uncomplacent parts of the Christian life to start a church and to invite others into it, to form a community that invites others into the life of God that we have in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the devil hates this. And so methods and schemes, there's whole volumes written about the best practices of how to plant a church. And many of them are very good. But many of them are also have the right music, have the right lighting, don't meet in the house. Like, um, I was going to say throw big parties, but that's what we do. So I don't want to count that out, you know. But there's lots of ways that become extremely attractive marketing ploys, if you will, to be able to grow the church. All these things that, if they're not effective, they're at least measurable but they're also very effective as well. They say one of the, the truisms of planting a church is um, what you get people with is what you need to keep them with. So if we're doing big carnivals and games rather than forming people into uh, who Christ looks like, then we have to keep on doing that as well. And I'm not down on those things. I'm just saying we are being very intentional about cultivating relationships and creating a space, many spaces, why we throw parties so that people can come and feel a part and belonging to a group of other people. They can feel the love. They can feel the intention behind it, whether it's explicit or not. They know that we love them deeply and that they can be loved by God as well. Prayer gives us this perseverance, this strength, and this boldness as we are sent out, as Paul was, to invite people to participate in the local church. Prayer is the foundation of what it looks like to start a church. The people of God, the church, the new community in Christ, is what Paul has been advocating, not just throughout this letter, but in his whole life as well. Again, that's why he's in prison. And I appreciate Paul's boldness here at the end of verse 19, uh, or at the end of the passage in verse 19, when he says, And also for me, pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to. And I would, I would ask the same. Please, pray for me. Um, pray for me because I can get caught up, caught up in methods and schemes. I can think through what's, what's going to be the most effective, what's going to be the best technique to do these things. Pray for me because I get, ex I get discouraged um, a lot um, in this work. Uh, it's not always easy. Um, there are a lot of uh, coincidences of things falling apart all at the same time, um, and they're not coincidences. They're um, Satan fighting against us because he does not want this to happen. Pray for me in my boldness of proclaiming the gospel. Um, I can be 
uh, I can speak too softly about who Christ is, or I can just leave him out of the conversation altogether. Pray for me. I can forget to pray as well and try to do it all on my own rather than being strong in the Lord. Pray for me. This wrestling that we have entered into, whether voluntarily or not, is a cosmic one. But it's also one that has already been won for us. We're not fighting a fight that we're going to lose. We're fighting a fight that has been won. Paul begins Ephesians this way in chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. He says, And and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We here, this small little band of folks, we are the church as well. And Christ fills us as much as he does any other church in this in the city, in this place, in this world, so that we may be the fullness of who Christ is in this place. Don't be seduced by schemes. Be seduced into prayer. Even when they seem ineffectual, Christ is working the character of God in you so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that uh, we don't have to do this alone, Um, that uh, we don't have to do life alone, that we don't have to do this work alone, but that you and your great mercy and majesty sent your son to be able to show us how um, the battle has been won and how um, we are to do it. Seemingly so ineffectual, so Uh, immeasurable, but to pray and to be able to enter into that. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to not judge our own lives by uh, through how much and how often and how effectual our prayers are, Lord, but help us just to pray, to enter into the life that you are working here in this place, in um, here at the table, and as you send us into the world as well. Help us to see who you are and what you are doing. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.